Hey, and welcome to another edition of It's Raining Mets. It's a podcast from the CBS 21 weather team. Uh, Steve Knight, Stacey Hanrahan, Ed Russo, and me, uh, CBS 21 meteorologist Tom Russell. And this side, uh, this time alongside Ed Russo. Hello there, sir. Hey, hey, Tom. How you doing? We're good. We're halfway through April and uh, lots to talk about weather-wise. And uh, it's been an interesting month. But uh, I want to get things started with you because you've been working on an interesting story about uh, weather alerts and how the National Weather Service is really trying to get people's attention and, uh, you know, save lives and uh, prevent loss of property. So tell us about the, the change coming up. Yeah, so, so the main change is basically um, we're talking about uh, – the wireless emergency alert system being activated by uh, severe thunderstorm warnings, which... Um, so you're talking about your phone. When you say wireless, this goes yeah, right to the... Tel- right to the, the phone. It's the real loud, ominous sound that your phone makes when there's an amber alert issued on the coast. Okay. There's a hurricane or tsunami warning issued. It's a very, it's very, you know, it's a disturbing noise, especially when it wakes you up in the middle of the night. Uh, <laughs> it's th- supposed to be, though, it's yeah. It's supposed to be. Um you know, the Apple and Android phones, both it both sound similar, but it's the same kind of sound. They are slightly different, but they're loud, they're ominous. Uh, I, we can't play it for you. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, that's illegal to show you a sample, yeah, but you'll yeah, know. Because the sound is specifically only, only for emergencies, so we can't even show you an example of it. So to obviously alleviate confusion, it's an FCC violation. Um uh, but again, they reserve that for high impact events that have a very uh, good chance to potentially cause catastrophic property damage or or or, uh, or, uh, or loss of life. So it's reserved for tornado warnings, um, okay. flash flood emergencies, which is worse than flash flood warning. Um, and then uh, now high end severe thunderstorms, which they have to meet a certain criteria. So we're talking 60 mile an hour straight line winds. I'm not, excuse me, that's that's low end severe. High that's end severe where, where the wireless emergency alert or WIA as it's pronounced uh, would be activated would be for a high end severe thunderstorm warning which is baseball size hail or 80 mile an hour winds, which is something we typically don't see here in Pennsylvania. I mean, we so when it. you hear it, take take cover. I mean, this is kind yeah. of a big deal. So when they send out the alert, you're going to get some information on what to do, take cover or where it's at or something like that as well, right? Correct. And 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 the uh, the wording. So whenever a severe thunderstorm warning is issued, there's always text that goes along with it. It's part of the crawl that runs across the bottom or top of your screen, depending okay. on. Uh, what station you have on, and uh, that wording will be a little bit more. Um, what's the word I want to use? Concise. It's it's it'll like be, bullet yeah. points. It's it, like it'll here's be what's happening. Uh, here's what you do, and do it now. That kind yeah, of thing. And it will be a, the, the wording will be a bit more threatening, and it's designed to be that way because they want you to really take it seriously. Right. Um, so, so is the change just that it's happening, or is the change saying? Uh, you know, is this something new? Where's the change it's, part it's, of it? It's more or less to, to streamline higher impact events um, on an as-needed basis. You know, I, I don't know all the research that goes into it, but, you know, when they when okay. they determined to add high-end severe thunderstorm warnings to this, they realized that there there's a market for safety. There's an advantage as far as safety goes to have this extra step of warning attached oh. to a higher threat. Um, and when you think about it, an 80 mile an hour straight line wind is 
does more damage than a weak tornado, especially straight line winds can be much, much more widespread. You know, I think that's uh, that's one of the hardest things to convey because people, you know, it wasn't a real storm unless it was a tornadic storm. No, that's not the case at all, especially here in central PA, where the damage is mostly done by straight line winds. Right. You know, and, and the thing is, you can't see straight. You, you can't I can't be sitting in this. No, no storm chaser goes after him and is like, oh, my gosh, look at those beautiful straight line winds in the distance. <laughs> no, they're, you know, they're, true. they're saying, look at that beautiful tornado because you can actually ca- – I'm, I'm using beautiful just to show you sure. I mean, how, you know, how thrilling nature can be and, and what it can produce. Um, but, yeah, you can see a tornado visually coming at you. You can see the threat. You, you can define right. it within a visual bounds within visual boundaries. You can't do that with straight line winds. It's invisible, essentially. So, Ed, you know, you and I have talked to the folks at National Weather Service, but do you think there's been, you know, the reason they're kind of up in the ante a little bit here is because people don't take regular severe thunderstorm warnings seriously enough? Do you think it's kind of gotten commonplace? Yeah, I I think that could be partly it, but I think we're in the age now where, um, you you know, 10 years ago, Tom, I mean, a lot of people didn't have smartphones. You know, they, well, they, they, yeah. they had flip phones and I don't even remember if the flip phones were even part of, you know, WIA alerts. No, I, I, I don't I, think so. I, you know, I, I really think it really became much more common with smartphone technology. But we now are at a point where everyone basically has a little computer in their pocket that can receive right. warnings that are conveying a high impact event that is imminent and has a decent chance of of causing injury or loss of life. So I think... When you're dealing with something that severe, I think they see it as an opportunity to, to protect people. And you know, at the end, yeah. of the, at the end of the day, you're talk, we're talk, we're talking about, you know, the diff, the only, you know, you want, you want to know the only difference between a weak tornado and straight line winds, uh, one the winds twist around and the other one they go straight. They both do the same damage. <laughs> yeah, they both do the damage. I think you bring up an extra inter- interesting point though. It's the that as the technology changes, the National Weather Service and and the governmental en- uh, entities have to change along with it. So yeah, I guess you're you're kind of catching up with technology, uh, but I, I still think there's this careful uh, tightrope that you have to walk between warning people too much, you know, over warning and just getting the right amount. So uh, I think this is a cool step, and I, as long as they use it judiciously, then it should do its job. Right, and you know, you're you're looking at you know earlier this year you know, for the first time, uh, a snow squall warning was yep. issued and, yep. That's and a, good example. a wireless emergency alert was attached to that. And people are like, what, you go out and play in snow? How's that dangerous? But the, <laughs> the thing is in Pennsylvania, and I know 322 and Interstate 80, you, those are roads you don't want to be on in a snow squall. You, you just nope. don't, you know? And you have high profile vehicles on some stretches of that road, you know, you've got 50, 60 mile an hour speed limits, you know, part of right. it, 76 has, is now 70 miles an hour. When you're dealing with a snow squall and you can't see, I yep, mean, it's literally scary. can't see. It's scary. Yeah. So, you know, a snow squall it obviously doesn't produce a foot and a half of snow. It produces maybe an inch or two in a short amount of time, but it blinds you. Right. And, and it's slick. It's slick. So, in that sense, yes, you, you're you're dealing with a you're basically driving incredibly impaired because you have yeah, no visibility, good... yep. and you're dealing with all of these big cars and high-profile vehicles driving around you 
at a high rate of speed and it, and and it goes from nothing to really Quite bad out. quick Yep. And and we've seen that, like, as you mentioned, I-80, we've had a number of crashes. And this has really been in the works over the last 10 to 15 years to try to prevent these accidents. So that's one of the reasons why the uh, signage, the signboards that uh, are changeable are now on the highways. Um, so really trying to get the word out. But that uh, the snow squall is a good example of, of how this would be used. So um, is it in place now, Ed, or does it not begin until later this summer? So this wouldn't begin until later this summer. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not exactly sure the delay, it, you know, there's a lot of, obviously when you're issuing something like this, it's serious and you don't want right. any glitches. Um, but it's probably red tape too. Oh, <laughs> I'm, sure it up. Red tape. I'm sure there's red tape. I'm sure there's probably some unnecessary steps in there. Um, gotcha. but the, you know, the general re reason is the same, you know, you want it, you want to do it and you want to get it done right. Oh. Oh, Ed, uh, if somebody's listening, is it something you need to turn on or is it automatically well, on your so, phone? So great, great, great question. So your phone by default, if you go out and get a new phone, right? by default, the alerts are on. Okay. Um, now you can go into your phone and obviously turn them off. So In settings? Is yeah, that where you go? In settings. And on the iPhone, uh, they have public emergencies, they have emergency alerts, and they have Amber alerts. So you can, you can select which one, you know. Most people I, I know just leave all three on, um, but right. by default, they, they are should on. be on. They should be gotcha. on. Okay, let's uh, transition to uh, hurricane season. Our friends out of Colorado State, Phil Klotzball and his gang, uh, have come out with the uh, hurricane season forecast. But before we mention that, uh, this is kind of a bigger picture is that in the weather world, the averages have changed. And what, what I mean by that is when you hear us say, hey, what's the average temperature for this time of year? What's the average amount of hurricanes? Um, basically, it's a rolling average. So it's a 30-year rolling average. So previously, it was from 1981 to uh, 2010. And now that we've reached the new decade, now the new quote-unquote normals is the 30 years from 1991 to 20. 20. So what that did in the hurricane world is it took the average, which used to be 12 named storms, six hurricanes, and three major hurricanes. Now the average is 14 named storms, seven hurricanes, and still three major hurricanes. So uh, something to keep in mind as you hear numbers going into hurricane season, right? Yeah. So the so the only thing that hasn't changed is the number of major hurricanes. Right. So we're seeing an increase of that. So uh, with the forecast, we anticipate another above average season once again and we saw a lot of uh u.s landfalls last year in particular it seemed like louisiana was uh, was a bullseye so the feeling this year is uh, another above average season but this time the bullseye could be florida and florida kind of missed out thankfully on most of the stuff last year so have you seen that uh, layout on a map i mean it looks like florida is going to be uh ground zero this time around. yeah you know it, it appears to be that way meteorologically just from pattern but it right. also, geographically, Florida always just, I mean, if you look at the state, it just sticks itself out. <laughs> right in the middle of warm waters, yes. Right, you know, and it's like, uh, it's like, you know, the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I mean, they jut out miles at its widest point. I think you got right. Albemarle Sound, which is miles wide, and then you got, you know, Cape Hatteras, yeah. which is jutting out and very close to the Gulf Stream and, and the, and you know, hurricanes love to follow the path of warmest water yep. and right off the south coast of Florida. That's that fuel. Yep. Miami. That's where you have the Gulf well, Stream I, I, and it curves away at the Outer Banks. And I, 
I'm a fan of both. I don't know if you're an Outer Banks fan, but I, I really enjoy the Outer Banks. And, uh, you oh know, every gosh, year kind of breaks. surf there is amazing. <laughs> That's right. You're a surf guy. You should know. Yeah. Uh, but every year, you know, you get that wash over on Route 12, which is that, you know, little strip road that goes up and down. And, you know, you get this wash over or uh, sand. And it's always like, you know, your heart breaks sometimes because some of your favorite beaches kind of get washed away. But right. fortunately, Mother Nature seems to replenish them. So. Yeah, and you know it. Uh, it's amazing how powerful Mother Nature uh, can be. You know, with Laura uh, last year, it created new barrier islands off Louisiana. Wow! Um, wow! But it's, you, yeah, it's very shallow in the northern Gulf. But do you have any feelings on hurricane season? You agree with uh, above average? Uh, we're not dealing with the, a particular uh, El Nino season per se, or yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm not going to go out and say it's going to be worse than last, but because it was record setting, obviously, in number. But uh, yeah, no, I think it could, I think we could be looking at another above average season. And and again, that's that's we're talking about named storms here. We're not necessarily saying it's going to be more active along the immediate coast, but it's really too early to say. But an above average season can mean you just have more storms, but most of them are, are out in the sea. So we kind of just have right. to see where they go. Well, you know from being around me that uh, I'm always on alert for flood, and you know a lot of our flooding comes from an old tropical system, like you said, whether whether it has a name or it's already weakened, uh, that's still a problem for us here in central PA. And in my mind, we're overdue for uh, you know some kind of tropical system dumping a, a ton of rain on us. So I think that as I move into the not necessarily the severe season, but even late summer, early September that we really need to be on guard for um, you know an old tropical system that comes and and brings us that flooding rain uh, I, I think we're way overdue for that and what happens in these years where you don't have it is you know new areas get developed or uh, you neglect something around the house where you know water keeps building up and then it takes one of those events to remind you that oh yeah we get floods here and we need to deal with that so yeah. both from yeah. a you know township standpoint but also your personal property uh, kind of uh, as you prepare for the warmer months here, think about water and possible flooding and, you know, it's simple things like make sure your sump pump is working. Right. Um, you know, make sure that, you know, the, the drains, I have a drain that comes out of the downspout, but then it runs through the ground to a certain point and then comes out. Well, I only think about it when I cut the lawn because I'll go over and it has like a PVC pipe that I'll I'll nick or hit sometimes and I'm like oh yeah I need to clear that out because it actually fills up with dirt and then there's no water nowhere for that water to go you know right yeah so, so it, it you know it's n never too early to prepare for that you know you know it's coming at some point just when but yeah it's like the yeah. clock is ticking when you haven't seen something in a while oh, and you're due yeah. for it definitely something you you need to think about you know I I, I know and. Um, you know, Ellicott City in Maryland, they've had some sure. pretty, what, two or three incidents over the last few years where I think they've had almost a flash flood emergency situation. Do, do you know what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, now, is yeah that, I sure do. I, I'm not sure. Is that just the way this it, it it's laid out down there, hydrologically? Yeah, so – yeah, so if you kind of picture it, the they did development on the high end of town, and that allowed water to rush into places it had never been before. So Ellicott City kind of sits on this slope, and it's almost like a funnel. And uh, they've allowed a lot of development on the upper side of, of that area, and it, and it just created water going into places it hadn't gone before. And uh, you and I have talked about this, you know, some heavier rain 
precipitation events and um you know every time their one hits the, they flood so i think after the last one they did some pretty good mitigation to try to you know maneuver that water around but you're talking about a very old city so you can't just come in and and, and divert water any way you want you're dealing with historic buildings and roadways and things um so yeah that that's been a good example of you know things that didn't flood as bad now they do flood and a lot of that had to do with the development on the northern side of of ellicott city which as i mentioned kind of kind of funnels all that water into right into town and boy it was just devastating when you saw those pictures yeah and and you know that th this is this is why you know uh texas you know harvey the houston area dealt with such issues cause, right you know you had uh the infrastructure was such where you had uh man creating this landscape where the ground couldn't absorb the water and you just have this massive amounts of runoff yeah they paved everything it was just they a paved. concrete jungle yeah. you, you gotta allow for this water and, and and it's not by you know fault or intent what happens is you go three four five years with no flooding and then things get approved so the township says sure you can you know put a building there or a parking lot and you're like wait a minute that if you look back in history that's where the water would collect or drain and uh you know because we don't really learn from history we kind of repeat it you so. know it's it's very hard for uh seems like it's pretty hard in general for humans to be uh proactive in that sense and it's hard to be proactive and convince the public when the public doesn't necessarily have past experience to right try to fix something you know a lot of people can only you know learn from personal experience and when something doesn't happen or it never happens they don't see a need for right. proactive yep. measures to to prevent something they've never seen or experienced because it's foreign to them yeah so that's a good point and then you look uh, at, and then hindsight's 2020 and you're like <laughs> well, I, I think, yeah, what you what you point out is so true because you talk to somebody who's been through a tornado, talk to somebody who's been through a major flood, you know, they'll never be the lowest point in the neighborhood again. I, I know that happened to us. So if we look for a house, it's going to be on the highest part of the of the, of the hill. Uh, you know, if you have a tornado, you know exactly where your safe place is going to be. And uh, it really is a psychological thing. That's yeah. A, and, you know, you hear point. people say, oh, I never thought it would happen to me. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, you should. <laughs> Why? Yeah. All right. And uh, as we wrap up, let's go ahead and transition. Here we are in the middle of April. April has been above average so far. I mean, by a lot, by, by about five, inch, uh, five degrees. Uh, rainfall, a little bit above average. Um, second half of the month, I'm thinking uh, not nearly as nice as the first half. Remember that first week of April was just gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and now... As of this it, recording, it's like, what, 60 degrees outside? It is, yeah. it is bitterly cold. <laughs> that might be a little exaggeration. Oh my gosh, it's like but... January or February <laughs> out there. Well, it, and it goes back to psychology. Everybody's kind of made that transition in their mind that it's springtime. It can only be warm. No, no, no. I think the second half of the month is still going to be rather unsettled and uh, probably another push or two of cold air before we really are uh, free and clear of the chilly stuff. Yep, and then uh, as we head into May, I'm thinking it looks warm. Yeah. And uh, also during the month of May, and we'll have this in, in later podcasts too, we're getting closer to this uh, cicada swarm. Oh, that's the right, that's right. Warming up. They are, uh, I actually, my nerd self went up to, went to Pincho State Park and I- Looking for them. Yeah, because I just, you know. You're um, a stalker. You're a cicada stalker is what yeah, you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm stalk the cicadas. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you find? You said well, it, the, so the... Uh, there's a really uh, fascinating 
entomologist down in um, University of Maryland. His name's Dr. Michael Ralph. So I've been talking to him a little bit, and okay. uh, he says they're they're in the ground. They're they're getting ready. Uh, you said 64 degrees, about a foot down, two feet down. What'd yeah, you say? yeah. So about six inches. Right now they're six inches to a foot. Before they were several feet, but now they're six. Oh, inches. so they're actually migrating north. Uh, no, no they're, they're, yeah, they're migrating towards the surface. Wow. And that's uh, so cool. He said he thinks you know there there'll be some early risers in early May, but the thick of it in Maryland and D.C. will be uh, mid to late May. Here it'll probably be third week of May into into early June. Um, but yeah, Pinchot State Park, if you, you know, um, if you just dig a little bit, like just, a you know, six inches or, or more down, um, in some areas at the base of a tree, um, you're going to find these nymphs. And in some spots, there's more than 300 per square foot. 300 per square foot? 300 per square oh, foot. Oh, my goodness. And then they're That's right crazy. below your oldest trees there. At the base, that they suck on the roots. That's how they right. survive all those years. Right. So there's going to be a lot. So it's coming, and Ed says it's good eating too. So uh, full yeah, of protein. They, they are. They, you know that it's my delicacy. I cook it every 17 <laughs> years. My secret <laughs> recipe salt. only comes once every 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will look forward to that. Uh, Ed, always great to catch up with you and. Uh, I think we're going to have some uh, interesting weather as we head on into May. So uh, thanks for being here. It's another uh, episode of It's Raining Mets. You can follow all of our episodes wherever you find uh, your podcast. So check them out. You can go, by, uh, go back and check uh, past episodes. But we love doing it. We're glad you're listening. And we'll see you next time on It's Raining Mets.